Blog Talk Radio. Hi there. I'm Mary Eileen Williams at Feisty Side of 50 Radio, and this show is a celebration of baby boomers who are embracing life as we grow older. And speaking of embracing life, everyone loves a great tale told by a master storyteller. And few writers can keep millions of readers eagerly turning pages like best-selling author David Baldacci. David's just added another book to his already impressive list. It's called The Stars Below, and he's joining us today to share all about it. So welcome, David. Thank you. It's great to be back. Well, and I have to, well, of course, start off with the obvious. <laughs> Your name is incredibly well-known. You've achieved wonderful worldwide fame and fortune, <laughs> and you're beloved by readers and critics alike. Uh, but the, uh, and I do want to get right away to the stars below, this latest uh, soon-to-be bestseller. However, this series, even though it's been around for a while, is a bit of a departure from what people typically think of when they see your name. So tell us a little bit about the Vega Jane series as a whole and and then we'll get into the specifics of this, the stars below. Yeah, it's, it's a fantasy series, and the, the, the protagonist is a 14-year-old girl named Vega Jane. We meet her first and the finisher back in, in 2013, I believe. And she lives in a little village called Wormwood that's surrounded by this place called the Quag, which is a very dangerous place filled with deadly beasts. And she's told there's nothing beyond that, so don't even worry about ever leaving Wormwood. But Vegas, pretty feisty and independent, doesn't really believe something just because she's told it's the truth. And she finds out that, you know, there is something beyond the Quag. So she and her friend Delph leave uh, Wormwood. They escape from there, and they go on this adventure that culminates at the end of the finisher and then you go on through the next three books until the stars below but it was just a fantasy that i wanted to do i I love fantasy reading it when i was a kid um obviously i'm known for my thrillers but i wanted to see if i could create a fantasy world out of nothing didn't exist before i thought of it and and inhabit it with lots of interesting characters mega jane and others and it was a blast i mean i had a great time well, and of course, your readers are having a great time too. And this, uh, the stars below, actually, this is the final showdown. So uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess that we'll we, we'll we'll miss Vega Jane. But do you have any thoughts about continuing on in this genre and, and writing more thrillers at some point? Well, you know, I, I enjoyed writing fantasy. I could see myself writing books for younger readers in a, in a different format um, with different characters and a brand-new series maybe. Uh, Scholastic was a great publisher, and, you know, they've uh, been a great partner with me over the four books, and I would love to work with them again. And, again, I never say never. I've been doing this a long time now, and so it, my, my life could change tomorrow, and you know, I could think of an idea, and off I go. Well, I, that is one thing I'm thinking is, uh, I, I used the word thrillers when I meant fantasy. I guess I am equating thriller to your name rather than fantasy. But I, I do, uh, since you are so well known for writing adult thrillers, and even though um, this is the Vega Jane series has been around for a while, you are so well known about that. How? What was it like? I'm thinking it must have taken a lot of personal courage because you'd had all this success, and then to totally change uh, thoughts and genre. Genres. Uh, how did you go about uh, finding a publisher and, and approaching a whole new world out there of fiction? Well, w- the way I did it was a little, probably a little bit unusual. When I finished the manuscript, <clears throat> I put a pseudonym on it. I didn't use my real name, and I sent it out to all publishers that I thought would be interested in the manuscript under that pseudonym. And uh, I wanted them to 
buy the book because they loved the book, not because my name was on it and they thought they could sell it to millions of my fans. And uh, Scholastica was the publisher who bought it. Um, and I went to New York with me to, to meet with them afterwards, and they were obviously stunned <laughs> that it was me. Um, they, thought it was a, they, they thought it was a first-time novelist. So um, oh my it was uh, quite a shock, yes. But again, it was very important to me to have that validation from from a publisher who you know publishes from the children the young adult market uh, again i wanted them to think it was just an unknown and the only thing they could think about whether they wanted to buy it or not was how good the story was and that's what i wanted them to base their decision on not the name attached to it wow david so you didn't you they didn't know who you were till you walked through the door that's right yes Oh my God! I wish I could have been a fly on the wall in that meeting. Yeah, <laughs> how, how many people were in that, the actual know, meeting? Well, you know they um, they hosted uh, an event at a restaurant in New York with like a couple hundred people from Scholastic, um, and the only person who knew at that time uh, that it was me was my editor, um, and so they brought a, a lot of people from Scholastic in New York to meet this new writer. <laughs> Of this new book they just oh and so when I walked oh in and was introduced, they were they they gave me a standing ovation, which was kind of cool, but they were stunned. I think you know Clifford, the big red dog that's in the lobby at the uh, classic, I think mean, he fell over in a dead faint. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, David, I, that that must have been some experience for all involved. And you must have, you know, getting ready to walk out there must have been kind of a treat for you, too. Yeah, I was going to be like, I'm either going to be really popular or they're going to, people are just going to be fainting left and right. I don't know what's going to happen, but here we go. <laughs> <laughs> Well, again, uh, this, uh, I, I congratulate you on so many levels for this book. Uh, and one of the things that I, as a reader and as a woman of a certain age, uh, appreciate is not only in the Vega Jane series, but in your other series, you, you focus on writing strong, self-reliant women, you know, a lot of boomers. And uh, you are a boomer yourself, I believe, just kind of the tail end of yes. us. But a lot of us older boomers went through that, that second wave of feminism. So we applaud your female character. Yeah, and really that's that's all I've ever known. I mean, I grew up with really strong female role models. So my grandmother, my mom, my sister, I'm married to one, we raised one. Um, so that was really my whole life. And I feel comfortable writing from that perspective. I never, I don't write about damsels in distress. I've never met one in my whole life. Um, so that's not something I'm familiar with at all. Um, the women I know um, are accomplished and smart and driven and they can well take care of themselves. Well, I, it, from that perspective, though, do you do you ever turn to your wife or even to your daughter and, and say, "I'm kind of stumped here," or do you, or maybe through conversations, do they give you some new insights into, say, the feminine perspective? Oh, absolutely. And just you know, if you just even aside from that, if you just observe and you listen to people, um, you learn a lot. And I, I, when I go and I meet somebody, I I don't talk about me because I know everything there is to know about me. <laughs> I like to talk to other people in their backstories, you know, where they came from, what they're thinking. That's what I'm interested in. And so when I talk to anybody, my wife, my daughter, my son, you know, my friend, other family members, you know, I like to listen. And that's where you get different perspectives of understanding people. And sometimes people just go in with a preset agenda and they're, they just say their piece and they don't listen to anybody else. And 
I think uh, a really good attribute for someone, whether you're a writer or not, is just to listen to other people and try to see things from their perspective. And I think it will make you a better person in many respects. Well, I tend to agree with that. And I have to tell you, though, David, do any of your friends or, or certainly your family members say, hey, I saw that in your book, you're writing about me, or do they catch you adding some some little details that might relate a little close to home? Oh, you know, that certainly does happen. And even even if it's if it's not, I just lie and tell them, yes, it's you. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> well, and then the other thing is I'm always fascinated, of course, someone with, you know, your major success as an author, but do you, what's the creative process like for you? I mean, do you say I'm going to write five hours a day? Do you write when the, you know, the, the muse strikes you? How do you, you know, how do you arrange your day and your creativity? Because you've got to have some system, I would think. Yeah, you know, my days are typical for being atypical. Every day is not the same. I have an office outside the house. I have a number of staff people who work there with me, and they handle all the other things besides the writing, you know, the appearances and social media and publicity and business. Um, So when I'm in in town, I go to the office every day. Um, I write many days there. Um, I also do a lot of research. I might be interviewing people. I might be interviewed by other people coming in to talk to me about publicity and things like that. So I've had, you know, Lester Holt from NBC, and they built a little studio in my office with a little train track with a camera to go down, and we do a whole interview there and things like that. But So I um, – and I write everywhere. I just did an event with John Grisham down here in Florida. We sat up on stage, and we talked about our writing process. John and I are very different. He, you know, he outlines everything. He knows the ending before he sits down to write the first page, and I sort of work my way towards the ending. But that just shows that writers can have different processes and they can get to the same result by different ways. And uh, I don't know the ending of any book I sit down before I write it. It's a journey for me. Uh, I come up with things as I go along. Um, I think about a lot. I don't count words or pages every day. I write until the tank is empty, until I have nothing left to write that day, and then I come back the next day and do it all over again. Jeez. That's so amazing. And, too, I know in your former life, your your career, you were a lawyer. So I'm thinking when you write, you know, your thrillers, you can kind of draw upon the experience that you've had and, you know, somewhat at least uh, as you're in your lawyer days. And, and there are a certain amount of research, like you say, that you can do. But when you're writing fantasy, that's a whole different thing, I would think. It, it is. I mean, you. I did some research. I, a lot of the stuff in the Vega Jane series are based on classic mythology, Greek, Roman, Middle Eastern, Native American. Um, so there was lots of research. I went back and read classical works of fantasy to sort of get a feel for the atmosphere, and you know. Um, but then it was up to me to sort of build the world that I wanted to build and inhabit it with the characters I created. And that's just starting off from scratch. Imagine yourself, you know, sitting down and deciding, okay. I want to make a village. And then you have to decide all the elements that go into that village. And then all the people are going to live there. And it really is. It's world building at a classical level. And it's a lot of hard work, but it's also very fulfilling because I got to do it exactly as I wanted to do it. Yeah, I can imagine that. That must be fulfilling. But, and speaking of fulfilling, again, I admire you, obviously, in a lot of ways, but I don't want to close without mentioning that you are a committed philanthropist, which I think is amazing. A lot of people in your, you know, with all the, the, 
draws on upon your time and and people you know wanting things from you or whatever you and your wife have started uh, a charity called wish you well and tell us a little bit about that we started about 17 years ago, and our, our job is to eradicate illiteracy in the U.S. That's our mission statement. We fund literacy programs and initiatives across the country. We funded programs in pretty much all 50 states and counting. Last year, we funded about 35 programs. In the first quarter of this year, we've already funded 23 programs. We get about 5,000 grant requests a year. Um, our job is to empower people, give them the basic skills of reading and then enhance those skills. We live in an information age. If you can't read at a higher level, you're going to be left behind. We don't want anybody to be left behind. We also have another program that we partner with Feeding America, which runs all the nation's food banks. Over my book tours, my fans will donate gently new and gently used books. We've collected about 2 million of them over the last six years, and those go out mm-hmm. through the food banks. People, people seeking food assistance often have lower literacy skills. That way we can fill their homes up with books, and I know that having books in a home can make a positive difference in someone's lives. Wow, David. Well, that certainly does sound like a positive difference. So you're you're literally feeding them uh, body and soul with the uh, you know the food banks, and uh, also you know giving them something to inspire them to. Because your novels have inspired a lot of people, but this is this is real, real wonderful work. So it's been such a pleasure. Uh, again, I've got one last question before I have to let you go, and that is, do you have any new novels in the pipeline that we can look forward to? Yeah, in April, um, a novel comes out called Redemption. It brings back Amos Decker. He's my memory man. So you'll see him next in, yes. in April. And uh, he's, a, he's a great character, and I really enjoy writing him. Well, and I think you have a, a memory akin to Amos Becker because, boy, can you hold a lot of things in your head at the same time. And I'm glad <laughs> I got a chance to debrief that head for a little bit, David. It's such a pleasure to talk with you. Same here always. Well, and I do want everybody to make sure that you check out not only all of David's wonderful books, but the Vega Jane series, uh, The Stars Below, is unfortunately the final showdown, but there's a lot of twists and turns to this one. And this one we can share with our grandchildren, too, because it's for readers of all ages. I believe young adults, you know, from the, you know, preteens and up. So until next time, this is Mary Eileen Williams at Feisty Side of 50 Radio, saying I'll catch you later. Bye-bye.